afternoon on Wednesday evening, not in not in Lee County. Uh, it is against the law to keep an ice cream cone in your back pocket. So every state has these, every country has these, right? These laws that when we read them, they just don't make sense to us, right? Now, clearly at some point they made sense to somebody or they wouldn't be on the books. I mean, like not wrestling a bear. I mean, that seems to make sense. That's a good idea. I don't know that you need to make it a law. But at some point in the state of Alabama, that was need to make a law. Um, and that may be how you feel when you come to some of the laws in the Bible, right? Uh, for instance, in the group of uh, laws that we're going to cover today, there's one that says, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Never felt compelled to do that. To be honest, I've never felt compelled to boil a young goat. So, um, let alone in its mother's milk. So we, we get to parts like that and we're like, what in the world does that have to do with me? And then maybe there are some other laws that feel uh, offensive or repressive or oppressive that we read them and we go, that was a thing back then. Uh, and so when we come to the laws in the Bible, one of the first things we need to realize is that they're, they're there for a reason uh, and just because we don't understand them culturally doesn't mean that there's not something that we can learn from them. I think our tendency is to say, ah, that's the Old Testament. What does that have to do with me, particularly if I'm a Christian? What, where do these things fit in? Uh, and so one of the, the first things we need to say about the laws, and even in the way that they're written, is they're meant to communicate something about God, right? That what God is doing uh, in these four chapters, right? If you, Let's just kind of look through the story really quickly. Remember in the book of Exodus, God has saved his people. He's brought them to this mountain called Sinai. And then he gives them these Ten Commandments, right? His constitution, like this. Here is Here are the terms of our relationship, okay? And the people have said, all right, sounds good. And now what God is going to do is he's going to take those Ten Commandments and he's going to unpack them in really specific ways, which is another reason why we're going to summarize this because a lot of, we've already talked about a lot of the stuff that's in these chapters. So if you've been with us, you've been through parts of the Ten Commandments, these are just applications of those Ten Commandments, all right? But what God is doing is he is saying, this is what life together with me looks like. All right, so I want you to think about all of these laws under that frame. This is what life with God together with other people looks like. <clears throat> now, there's something I want you to, to be processing in your head. Um, life, all of life, is fundamentally religious. All of life is basically religious. Now... If you are not a religious person, you may find that statement to be offensive. And so let me let me tell you what I mean. Um, if you're human, uh, then your life is governed by some authority. That's true. Whether every every person on the planet is dedicated to someone or something. That's what I mean when I say that, that life is basically religious. I mean that, that every person in this room, whether you would identify yourself as an atheist or an agnostic or a Christian or something else, every person in this room finds meaning, purpose, and direction from a source outside of themselves. 
Even if you would identify as a non-religious person, there are some principle governing your life. Like you, you live your, your life according to some rules or principles that come from outside of you. So that's what I mean when I say that all of life is religious. It means that outside of us that we, we submit, right? We bow the knee to some authority in our lives. And that's what's happening here. All right. Uh, God has rescued these people. He's spoken to these people. And now he is beginning to show them what this life will look like, how they how they are to govern uh, this life or how he governs this life with him. Uh, and so um, so the main idea for today is that every area of life is guided and covered by God. Every area of life is covered by this God of grace. There is no part of this life that can be compartmentalized and broken off and said, okay, God doesn't speak here. No, God speaks to everywhere. Uh, a few years ago, well, before he, uh, before he passed away, I believe he's passed away, Christopher Reeve, the actor who played Superman uh, in the 80s, um, he was advocating for stem cell research and he made the remark that Religious views had no place in public policy, debating public policy. That religious views have no place in the, uh, in the public square. When we're talking about, about government and what regulations and rules it should make, he said, religious views don't belong here. That in and of itself is a religious statement. Uh, and Reeve actually came back later and apologized to certain religious groups. But the, the view of the Bible is that no, God speaks to every area of life. Uh, everything, if, if, we, if we have been rescued and brought into relationship with God, then that speaks to every area of life. And that's what's going on in these passages. So uh, we're going to look at this in three ways. I'm going to not spend as much time on the first two uh, and really spend hopefully most of our time on the last one. But first, we're going to see that God opens the door. Second, we're going to see that God guides his people and then third, that God, it's God who brings us to the table. Uh, so look with me, if you will, chapter 20. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 22. It's on page 61. If you don't have a Bible, grab one out of the rack in front of you, and we're going to start there. The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. He's talking about what's just happened with the Ten Commandments. And now remember, so remember when we stopped at the, at the, at the end of the Ten Commandments? Do you remember that the people heard those words and they were absolutely terrified? And they said, okay, Moses, we can't bear this anymore. You speak to God for us, right? So they tell Moses like, hey, it's your job to, to bring God's messages to us. You go before us. We can't, we can't handle it, right? They're shaking with fear. And so Moses is now up on the mountain and God is speaking to him, giving him, uh, giving these next few words. So you've seen for yourselves that I talked to you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. All right, what's going on here? Let me ask you this. As a parent, if you're a parent, um, what, are the first, what are the first things a good parent would communicate to a child. If you, so just think about, 
the scope of knowledge that a person needs to live a good life, right? To, to live a successful life in this world. The, just the sheer amount of things that you have to convey to children over time. Where in the world do you start? I recently, uh, so one of my son's text math books was open uh, on a desk in our house and I was looking at it and his, the next lesson that he gets to is, uh, is how to write a check. He's nine, right? At the earliest, like the, the, the nearest time he's going to have a checkbook is going to be like the earliest, maybe six years. All right, so this is a little early, but nonetheless, you need to know how to write a check. In 2018, and I realize there might be some people in there like, a check? What's a check? Um, you still do need to know how to write a check. All right, uh, but that's not where I would start. Right, that's not the first thing. It's an important thing, but it's not the first thing. Now, the first thing that we usually communicate to children in our homes, whether they're, whether they're infants born to us or maybe a teenager brought in or adopted, right? Whatever age that child comes into your home, the first thing that you're beginning to communicate to them is your relationship. Who I am and who you are. And hopefully that's a relationship of love, right? I am for you. I am with you. I'm not going anywhere. Now, you remember when we ended chapter 20, the people are terrified. And they, they, they don't want to be necessarily in God's presence. They realize that there's a gap. That there's a, that there's a holiness problem. That if they were to approach God any more, if they were to get any closer, then it would be deadly to them. So how does God respond to that? What's the first thing that he says? He says, then I'll come to you. You're going to build these things called altars. Here's how you build them and here's how you approach me. This is how our relationship will go. So the whole, the whole point in this passage, this first part about this, all these altars, which are things that we're not super familiar with, is this. Uh, with man, there is no way. That there, that, that there's a problem that man has. He cannot approach God on his own. And so God has to make a way. And he does. And that way is through sacrifice. That the way that, that, that his people will need to relate to him is through offering sacrifices. And so we see that this is not a story of man seeking God. This is not a religion where, where we seek God and try to figure out what he wants from us. No, this is a story of God seeking us. This is a story of God coming to us. He is initiating with us. And he says, you're right, you can't approach me, uh, at least not as you are, and so let's make a way for you to do that. So God provides the way, God opens this doorway into his presence. Isn't it interesting that that's where he starts? He doesn't start, as we're going to see, he doesn't start by telling them how to, how to manage their marriages. He doesn't start by telling them, hey, here is what justice looks like in your context. He doesn't start with any of the other good things he's going to go on to say. He doesn't start there. He starts his laws by talking about his relationship to his people and how that's going to work. And so God begins by opening that door back up. He begins by talking about the grace that enables them to come to him. And then for the next few chapters, we see how God guides his people, right? So if you look at uh, chapter 21, 
verse 1, here's what, uh, here's what God says to Moses. These are the rules that you shall set before them. Alright, so what this is, these chapters are now laying out specific laws based on the Ten Commandments. And since we've already talked about most of this, uh, this is just application of what we've already seen. We're not gonna, we're not gonna go in detail through all of these chapters. Uh, but just to give you a general idea, maybe you can look in your Bible and see the different headings, right? You have laws, uh, protecting people in slavery and protecting people in marriage. You have laws about private property and about social justice. And then they finish with laws that lay out the religious life of Israel. This idea of a Sabbath pattern where not only are you supposed to cease from your work and worship uh, for one day in seven, but actually every, every seventh year is a sabbatical year where you give your fields rest for a whole year. Right? And so this pattern of religious observance that God sets up. Um, but let's make a few, let me just make a few broad applications from these chapters so that if you decide that, that you want to read through these, you're going to see some things maybe that you're like, whoa, what does that, what does that mean or what does that have to do with anything? So let's just, let me give you some broad ideas about what's going on. Uh, the first thing is this, uh, as you read through these laws, the, the first principle that you want to derive from this is people matter. Humans matter. Regardless of their wealth, regardless of their gender, regardless of their ethnicity. When you look at God's laws, the first thing you're going to see is, uh, well, the first thing right off the bat is laws about slaves. Now, why? Why would, why would Moses start there? Well, these laws are meant to protect people who are in a very vulnerable position. See, in every other part of the ancient world... If you were wealthier or more powerful, then the law usually favored you. And by the way, that hasn't changed a whole lot. Law typically favors the powerful. Um, whether the powerful or the government, whether the powerful or the wealthy, it doesn't matter. Law typically favors the powerful. So, um, if a Babylonian king ran over a slave with his chariot... He wasn't to be held responsible, right? Because he's a Babylonian king and that was just a slave. Didn't matter, right? But that's not how it worked in Israel. The lowest of the low and the highest of the high had equal value. They all mattered to God's sight because they were all made in God's image. And so laws had to be put in place to govern, uh, to govern those interactions. Um, those, the people who were, who were protected, uh, women, servants, Immigrants, um, there are laws that say you are not to, uh, you're not to take advantage of a refugee or an immigrant because you at one time were refugees and immigrants and I've brought you out of that, right? You are to treat your slaves fairly because you remember what it was like to be slaves in Egypt, uh, where you were treated unfairly. All right. So people matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter about their social status or uh, anything else. People matter to God. And so he puts in laws that, uh, that govern that. The second principle is this. Because people matter, justice matters. All right? If you look, uh, there, this, is, this is where... So that if you've ever heard the saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, this is the section of the Bible that comes out of. 
right? And the idea is that of fair payment. That if you cost a man his eye, then you pay that back, all right? Now, that may sound really barbaric to you, but here's what that was intended to stop. It was intended to stop retaliation and vengeance, right? If, if, and, and, it was, and, this, and those laws are meant for a court setting. It's not, it's not for me personally to go ahead and take your eye out, okay, if you take mine out. This is meant for the court setting. But it's supposed to stop retaliation and vengeance, right? Um, if you, again, just using the, using the child example, right? How do things usually es- escalate in the playroom, Right? Uh, somebody grabbed a Lego out of somebody else's hand and all of a sudden somebody's got a black eye and a bloody nose. We have thousands upon thousands of Legos. Surely there was another way to resolve this than, than a fist fight, right? So we know that our hearts are prone to retaliate and to do so in increasing measure, right? I'm going to show you. So for instance, if my dog digs up your flower bed... Maybe you want to retaliate by driving your car through my lawn and doing donuts, right? Uh, that would be retaliation, but that would not be that would not be just. That would not be fair. And so God puts laws in place that say, "No, this is how justice will work." In some Muslim countries, if you steal something, if you're a thief, they'll cut your right hand off. But that's not really a fair restitution. I mean, just I want you to think about that. Think about that for a second. Somebody, somebody's stealing uh, when they could be working. Now you've removed their right hand and therefore cut in half probably the the number of jobs they could actually do. So if you really wanted their life to make a turnaround, uh, you've basically maimed them for life. I mean, is that what is that what stealing is worth? In Israel, you just repaid what you stole plus some, right? So the idea is justice. Uh, that that people are equal in terms of their value before God and that justice is fair across the board. That if someone kills someone, then there's the death penalty. If your ox at- accidentally kills my ox, then you owe me an ox, right? So that's how these laws are meant to work. So people matter, uh, justice matters, uh, and you know, they, God matters, right? That's why he finishes these laws by saying, here is the rhythm in which you are to set up your life, not just weekly, but monthly and yearly, right? He installs these, uh, these three worship feasts that happen in the year. They're going to add more later. But these are the rhythms of, of life with God that God tries to guide his people. And so we have a tendency to see these things as oppressive or repressive or hard and what I want you to see if you read through those is, no, they're actually meant to be life-giving, not life-taking. These are meant to show us how, how life is best structured and guided by God. All right? So God opens the door. He makes it possible. He makes a way where there is no way. Uh, and then God guides his people. But finally, God brings us to the table. Turn with me to chapter 24. This is where I want to spend... Uh, the rest of our time. Chapter 24. Uh, so God has just finished out le- telling Moses, all right, here are all the rules. And by the way, there are going to be more rules. And then there are going to be more rules after that. There's going to be a whole book called Leviticus, and it's going to put you to sleep too, right? So there are plenty of rules. 
Let's see how the people respond. Chapter 24, then God said to Moses, uh, so at some point in here, God, uh, Moses goes back down to the people to tell them. Uh, God said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, those are Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came down and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Let's pause for a second. So Moses reiterates verbally in their hearing. All right, here's what God is calling you to. You enter out and they say, sounds good to us. All that God has spoken, we will do. All right. Now this is uh, this is common negotiation, uh, covenant negotiation in the Old Testament. So uh, in the ancient world, so the people verbally agree. Verse four, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. All right, so what is, so the people say, all right, everything that you've spoken, we're going to do. All right, so Moses writes all that down. Think, think of, think of a contract, like a, like a contract between businesses or like if you sign a lease, right? This is, all of these things now have to be written down and they have to be agreed to. That's what's happening here. Moses then goes and he sets up an altar, which, hey, God just gave him instructions for how to do that. He sets up these 12 pillars that represent all of the people. And then they start, he has to get all the young guys because, you know, it takes a young guy to go wrangle a bull, uh, out from the field and they, and they begin sacrificing. Now, what, what happens next may really gross you out. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar, right? So, the, the sacrificial blood has to cleanse the altar. Um, then, he took the book of the covenant, this is all the things he'd just written down, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, again... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. Some of you just went for your hand sanitizer, didn't you? Right? Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. All right, what's happening here? The people have now agreed twice that they're going to follow everything that the Lord w w has asked them to do, which, by the way, is pretty standard, right? Think of, think of a contract. If you're a business owner, maybe think of contracts that you make or, or think of a lease, right? Let's, let's go with a lease. If you're, if you're renting from somebody, you have to sign this piece of paper that says this is what... Uh, this is what I expect of you, right? If you came back to your landlord a year or a year later and yeah, you paid your rent, but you knocked holes in all the walls, what would he say to you? Uh, what have you done to my house? Right? And be like, well, you know, I saw our agreement where it said not to knock holes in the walls, but I figured as long as I was keeping this half of the contract, I wouldn't have to do that part. 
right? So like, as long as I'm paying rent, what does it matter that I do to your walls? Well, I asked you not to do that, right? So when the people agree to everything, they're saying, yeah, that, that, that only makes sense. We're going to do everything that you asked us to do. This is the nature of our covenant together. But how does, what does Moses have to do? He has to throw the blood of the sacrifice on them. Why? Because they won't be keeping the rules. They won't be obedient. Fast forward a few chapters. No sooner does Moses go back up to the mountain and the people start making a golden calf at the bottom of the mountain so they can get moving. No sooner has this... no Like, they probably still have some of the blood stains on their shirts while they're making a golden calf. These people break the law as soon as they get it. And so do I. And so do you. And so Moses... Uh, so, so God, not only, uh, not only does he open this covenant with grace, but he also has to seal it with grace too. He has to provide a way for them because they won't keep all the things that they've agreed to keep. They won't be obedient the way that they said that they would. And so that's why Moses has to throw the blood, has to sprinkle the blood on the people, right? As a, con- as a, as a cleansing and as a reminder. And then it, and then it says this, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Now in the ancient world, it was commonly believed that if you saw God, you died. In fact, God will tell Moses that later. You can't see me face to face and live. But here, here it is, Moses, Aaron, these 74 guys, they go up the mountain And they actually see God or a vision of God. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. What does that mean? It means they came into God's presence and he did not kill them. Why? Because they were covered in the blood. Right? Because they were safe. His grace had made a way for them to be covered. And then what, and then what happens? They saw God and ate and drank. Friend, that's what it means to be in relationship with God. To be invited to His table. Right? We're not just, we're not just rescued from punishment. That's a, that's a, that's a short, truncated, small view of salvation. The whole purpose of being saved is that you are drawn into God's presence. That he welcomes you to his table. That you get to eat and drink with God himself. What does Jesus do on the night he's betrayed? He gathers his friends around him and he has a meal with them. Right? And then as he's talking to them about what the meal means, he says, this wine that you're about to drink is the blood of my covenant with you. You gotta, you gotta have the blood of the covenant or we don't get to eat and drink. And then he says, I won't drink of it again until I drink of it with you in paradise, right? In the new heavens and the new earth, in what Revelation calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where this is all headed. If you're, if you're a believer, that's where you're headed, right? We're getting to go back to the table, not for little crackers and little shot glasses of grape juice, but for a banquet, 
a banquet with our Lord and our Redeemer that He makes possible by His own blood, right? That He he is the sacrifice that makes it possible for us to eat and drink with God. So what do you what do you do with this? What do you what what what, what do we do with these passages? Uh, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, if you would call yourself a Christian, then these verses while they're not binding on you in the same way as they were in the Old Testament, they are meant to give you an indication of how to live your life. People matter, justice matters, and God matters, right? There are, there are ways and rhythms that we can uh, organize our lives, right? So how we make decisions, what we decide to do, what we don't do, right? We don't play favorites, that's not justice. Um, so people matter, justice matters, God matters. But if you're not... A believer, if you would say you're not a Christian, then what these laws do is one, they show you, they show you a path of life, uh, but they also remind us, every single one of us, that it's a, it's a, it's a path we cannot walk, not without significant help. And so what they're meant to do is show us how far short we fall, that people don't always matter to me, that I, that I don't esteem all people of equal value, right? Uh, that justice doesn't always matter to me. That I want it my way, even if my way is not fair. And that God doesn't always matter to me. Uh, in all of those ways, I fall short. Right? Paul would say in Romans 3, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. But the good news is that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That because of what Jesus has done, not what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done, you can be brought to the table. You can eat and drink in the house of Zion. That's what God promises to us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. Words that we don't often understand. Words that are hard for us to maybe apply or think through. But Lord, would you increasingly help us to see what life with you looks like, what life together looks like as we live under your leadership. Holy Spirit, would you uh, continually mold and shape our hearts, the, uh, the law written in our, on our hearts, Lord, would you use that to mold us and shape us and make us more like the Lord Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour stay thou nearby temptations lose their power when thou art nigh